Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. It brightens my day. Last night, uh, big Michigan State fan, and some of you guys may know Michigan State lost last night in the Final Four, and some are happy, not me, I'm not happy, but, but it, it, it was awful for me because after the game, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that, that's bad, after the game, their, their best player, he, he, was, he, get, he got interviewed and he said, all the glory to God. And I was like, man, he is really making it hard for me to be upset at him. And then <laughs> when they went into the locker room, the first thing they did, rather than celebrating, they all got down on a knee and prayers like, you guys are really making life difficult on me, but good to see them giving glory to God. So I'm a big Texas Tech fan now. <laughs> so to start off, uh, I'm going to tell you guys a story. So last year, on March 2nd, uh, I asked Jamie uh, to marry me. Uh, it's been over a year ago now, and it went great. Uh, we, we, had, we, we had a great time. She said yes. We, we eventually got married. Um, but unfortunately, not everything went according to plan. Now, let me guys take you back a couple of weeks, days, and hours before the proposal. So, a couple of weeks before the proposal, we were living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, for I was attending the Atlanta Bible College, and I had this genius idea that I was going to ask Jamie, she's from South Carolina, uh, I was going to ask her to marry me in Greenville, South Carolina. And Greenville, if you've never been there, it is a beautiful city. It's one of the prettiest cities, uh, probably the prettiest city that I've seen. And I love it, and she likes it, so it's going to be perfect to ask her, ask her to marry me there. Um, we were going to go, there's cute little shops in town, and we were going to go, I was going to take her out shopping, because what girl doesn't like shopping, and uh, there, we were going to go out to eat at uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, and uh, yeah, yeah, this is a big deal, I mean, I was only going to ask her once, <laughs> I mean, I needed to make this a big deal, and uh, so we're going to go there, and then there's a river that runs along through the city, and we're going to walk down the path through the river, and then there's a bridge, a really pretty bridge that overlooks the city and the river. And I was going to ask her as the sun was setting. I was like, will you marry me? And I had it all perfect in my mind. And, and so that was my plan uh, a, a couple weeks before. And we were supposed to leave Georgia around 1 o'clock in order to get everything uh, that I had in mind. And then also after I was going to ask her to marry me, uh, I had our, some of our closest friends and family uh, waiting at her parents' house. Um, we had people drive up all the way down from Michigan for this, and we were going to surprise her. She didn't know anything about it, and it was going to be a big surprise party after. And so it was going to be awesome. These are my plans a couple of weeks before uh, the proposal. Then, the week of the proposal, a couple of days before, I was going to ask the love of my life, one of the biggest days of my, of my life, to marry me. A couple of days before... Uh, she told me, hey, Kyle, because uh, we, we made plans. I told her we were going to go to South Carolina and just have a good time. And she's like, Kyle, I'm going to be late on Friday. And on the inside, I was thinking, are you kidding me? She, she nannied, and not once, not once was she going to be late on Friday. But, of course, of all the Fridays throughout the whole year, of course, the day I was going to ask her to marry me, of course, was going to be the day that she was going to be late. And she, so I got in contact 
uh, she was a nanny. And so I got in contact with the mother of the kids that she nannied. And she said, yeah, we, I could get Jamie to you by 3 o'clock. And I go, okay, we can, we can still have time for all this. We just won't have as much time to shop, which not a big deal for me. I don't really enjoy shopping anyways. Uh, a little bummed out for Jamie that she wouldn't be able to. But I was thinking, you know what? This is still going to happen. It's still going to be great. And it's going to be good. And then Friday rolled around, March 2nd, the day of the proposal. And uh, I, I told my roommates and my closest friends that I was going to ask her to marry me. And so I was talking in my room, and they're like, so come on, man. Like, are you nervous? Are you worried? I was like, surprisingly, I'm not even really nervous or worried. I mean, I probably should be, but, <laughs> but I'm not. And uh, so life was good. It was going well. And then... Uh, an hour or two before 3 o'clock when she was uh, supposed to uh, get back to my house so we could uh, leave to go to Greenville, she said, it's going to be a bit later than I originally thought. And so then the nerves start to kick in. And I started to get a bit worried. But, you know, I was like, if you know me at all, I'm not really one to worry. Like, if, if the world was coming to an end, uh, I, I might not be there worrying. I'm, I'm not much of a worry wart. But, uh, but I was a, a tad bit worried when she said that uh, she's going to be later than 3 o'clock. I was like, okay, we, we can still make it work, Lord willing. And then 4 o'clock rolled, rolled along, and she works a half hour away from me. And she said, I'm still working um, the, the lady isn't back, and so it's going to be later than I even thought. And I checked Google Maps, and there's over an hour of traffic on the way to Greenville, South Carolina. That's when I totally lost it. I totally lost it. I was totally nervous. I was totally worried. I was sweating like a pig. My pits were disgusting. I, I had to take off my shirt. I was pacing back and forth in the house with my shirt off, freaking out. And uh, what do Christians do when they freak out? They, they go to God in prayer. And so I went to God in prayer, and I was like, God, I'm freaking out. And my prayer to God was, was simple. It was, God, please comfort me. Please comfort me. I'm in, I'm in a very stressful time. I had all these great plans, and it's all going to waste. And one of the biggest days in my life, and I really want it to go perfect, but it seems like nothing is going my way today. I was like, God, just please comfort me. And I had my Bible in my hand, and I randomly flipped open to a passage. To be honest with you, I was, I was aiming for Psalms because I knew there were passages in Psalms about uh, God comforting us. So as I was praying, I randomly flipped open my Bible, and I came across Isaiah 51, 12. And, and I'll just read it. And it says, this is God talking. And God said, I, I am he who comforts you. Oof, I still get chills to this day in reading that as I was, and I, I was a mess. I was praying for God. God, just please comfort me. And I randomly flip open my Bible to Isaiah 51, 12, where God says, I, I am he who comforts you. And I lost it. And I, I had to sit down, and I was crying. I was bawling. I was, I was a big girl. Um, and I, I lost it as God has never so clearly answered my prayers before. And after that moment, the, the nerves, the, the worries, the, for the most part, they were gone. And I knew that God was there with me in that moment. 
And so we had a good time. Uh, we, I didn't have time to go shopping, and I didn't get to ask Jamie to marry me when the sun was setting. It was pitch black, but there were lights. Um, and we had a surprise party. All the people were just ended up waiting there for a couple of hours for the most part. But it was, it was a great time, and we had a great day. And then later, as I was reflecting on all the events of the big day and asking the love of my life to marry me, I, I asked myself, why doesn't God more clearly answer my prayers more often? Why can't I see God at work in my life as much as I would like? And some of us may, may have those same questions in life. And they ask, why, God, aren't you answering my prayers as clearly as I would like? Or why aren't you as active in my life as I would like to see? Why can't I know that you are here, God? God, I just want you to show me why can't I see you? And some of us may question those same exact things. And it's so easy to blame God for it. It's so easy to blame God and say, God, why why aren't you making this happen? What's up, God? Please make this happen. I just want to see you answering my prayers. I want to see you active in my life. I want to see you at work in my life. And it's so easy to point our finger at God and blame God. But a good general rule of thumb in life is it's never God's fault. God is perfect. God is the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth, and he is without fault. So maybe instead of blaming God or pointing our fingers at God and why God is answering our our prayers very clearly or why we don't see God very active in our lives, maybe we need to focus on ourselves rather than point our fingers at God. And so this morning, uh, we're going to be talking uh, about knowing God, knowing God is active in your life, to know God through answered prayer. And it's a very, very important subject of matter to be talking about knowing God. And it's important because of what takes place or what Jesus said in John chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of John. John chapter 17, and we're just going to read verse 3. And here, this is known as the high priestly prayer. This is the same night that Jesus was about to be arrested, and the next day he was going to be crucified for the sins of the world. And so this was a stressful time for Jesus. This was a very big time for Jesus. And so Jesus spent the night in prayer with his heavenly Father, with our heavenly Father. And in John 17, verse 3, Jesus praying to God, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It is eternal life to know God and to know his son, Jesus Christ. If you want eternal life, if you want to partake in the pleasures of the coming kingdom of God, then you have to know God. You have to know God and you have to know his son, Jesus Christ. So this principle, this idea of knowing God, is, it is extremely important. And it's a subject that, we need, that needs to be at the forefront of our minds. And that's why we're going to be talking about this morning. Now we need to make a distinguish here. Um, is that there's a difference between knowing someone and knowing of someone. Like, if someone asked me, do, do I know Donald Trump? Like, yeah, I know of him. Like, he's my president. But now if someone were asked me, do you know Jamie? He's like, yeah, I know Jamie probably better than anyone else here. 
Um, and so there, there's a different idea of knowing someone and knowing of someone. And I would say everybody in this world who says that they are a Christian knows of God, and that's good. But on the flip side, I would say that there's some Christians out in, out in the world that, who say they're Christians, but they don't really know God. They know of God, but they don't know God. And knowing someone is so much more deep than just knowing of someone. As again, I know Jamie, but I, I, I just know of President Trump. And so there are two main ways in which we can further know God. Not just to know of him, but know God. Know God that, that he is active in our lives. Know that he is watching over us. Know that he is our heavenly father, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. There's two main ways in which we can further know God. And the first main way in which we can further know God is through reading his word, the Bible, God's word. We can further know God and reading his word. We won't flip there, but in Joshua 1.8, God instructs Joshua to meditate on the law both day and night. Now, the books of the law are just the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was all the scripture that Joshua had at that time. And God told Joshua, listen, man, you got to meditate on this word both day and night. Every day and every night that you live, you need to be meditating, you need to be studying, and you need to be in, in my word. And now, let me tell you, if there was enough for Joshua to meditate on day and night in just the first five books of the Bible, there's 61 other books in God's Bible. So surely, there's enough for us to be meditating on day and and night. And we can further know God by studying our Bibles on a daily basis, both day and night. And that is one of the best ways to further know God, to further grow closer to him, is if you are in your word and if you are reading what he has to say about himself, his son, the promises that he has for us, the plans that he has for us. There's so much that we can learn and there's so much that we can learn about God so we can have a further understanding so that we can know God. So reading your Bible is the first way in which you can further know God, but that's not really the focus of this morning. The focus of this morning is to further know God through prayer. That's the second main way in which we can further know God. There's other ways, but the two main ways is studying his word and through prayer, number two, which we're, we're going to focus on this morning. So the purpose of prayer is to draw closer to God. It's to grow closer to God. It's to have that relationship with God. Prayer is our modes of communication with God. I'm, I'm standing here today talking to you guys, and I'm communicating to you guys. Um, well, well, God is a bit of a different story as we can't see God. We, we often can't hear God. We, we can't feel him. We can't smell him. And I'm thinking I'm missing another scent sense in there, but we can experience each other with, with our five senses, but we can't really experience God with those five, with those five senses. So it's a, it's a different ball game. But prayer is our modes of communicating with God from, from us to him, and he can talk to us back through prayer. And so the purpose of prayer, again, is growing closer to God. It's seeking the giver of gifts. It's not seeking the gifts Yes, God is a good God who gives us many, many good gifts, 
But that's not how a relationship works. When you're in a relationship, you, you don't seek someone for the gifts that they give you um, unless you're a material girl. But everyone else excluded, you, you, you seek the person for who they are and not the gifts that they give you. So when we have a relationship with God, we seek the giver, not the gifts. Seek the giver, don't seek the gifts. Now the trick is, when we seek that relationship with God, he is a giver of good gifts. It's natural. When, when you grow close to someone, in return, they want to take care of your needs and your wants. I have a relationship with Jamie, and Jamie knows that I love it when she cooks for me. But I don't pursue a relationship with Jamie so that she'll cook for me. No, that's awful. That's awful. I pursue a relationship with Jamie because I love her, but in return, she then cares for my needs and my wants. And so she takes care of me, and she feeds me, because if she wouldn't feed me, I would live off of cereal. And that's not very nutritious, I hear. So when we seek God as the giver of gifts and not just seeking the gifts through prayer, that is the purpose in growing closer to God. That is the purpose of prayer, to further know God, to further grow closer to him as our heavenly father. Jesus taught us in prayer that we can view God as our heavenly father. So again, we're talking about prayer. The purpose is growing closer to God and seeking the giver of gifts, not seeking the gifts themselves. And when we talk about uh, knowing God through answered prayer, uh, it's important that we talk uh, a bit about uh, psychology. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the reticular activating system. Is anybody familiar with the reticular activating system? Not, not many. All right, perfect. This is a learning experiment or learning experience for all of you guys. We're going to be talking about the reticular activating system, or sometimes known as the RAS, is is the shortened version of it. And the reticular activating system is simply a cluster of nerves found at the base of your brain. And what the reticular activating system does, the, the cluster of nerves at the base of your brain, what it does is it serves as a filter or watchman for all the stimuli happening around us. Because there's a lot, a lot taking place around us. And it's not possible for our minds to process all of this different information, all the, all the individual blades of grass, uh, what, what you guys are all wearing, uh, the, the lights, the, the drums, the music. It's not possible for us to process all of this information because there's so much stimuli, there's so much stuff happening around us. And so the reticular activating system, it determines what we take note of and what we don't take note of. It serves as a watchman. It reminds me of Paul Revere in the Revolutionary War. Uh, it was his job in Lexington to warn uh, the people when the British were coming, as he's famously known as saying, the British are coming, the British are coming, or probably more historically accurate, uh, the regulars are coming, the regulars are coming, as they were British themselves at that time. But it serves as a watchman, as a filter to what we take note of, similar to Paul Revere being a watchman. Because there's so much happening around the world, and your brain can only focus on so much at once. And I have a couple of examples for you guys this morning uh, that show the reticular activating system at work. Oh, but before that, we have to know how the reticular activating system knows what to focus on or not. And it does that by what it thinks is important. Your reticular activating system automatically unconsciously, without you knowing it,
technology. Beauty. I'm young. I should be able to figure it out, but I'm not much of a tech wizard. Thank you, Jen. So in talking about the reticular activating system and how it determines what we take note of and what not, uh, it determines that by what it thinks is important. And it determines that by what we consciously focus on. And so a couple of examples to demonstrate this is uh, when I get in a good habit of working out and I'm focused on uh, getting big muscles and getting big and getting swole, as they say nowadays, when I'm focused on that and I walk around, all of a sudden, I start to realize people's muscles. Like, so if you, you gentlemen out there, if you see me just staring at your biceps, just, just let it be. That's my reticular activating system at work. I'll let you take that. Thank you, Brett. Um, and so that's an example of how the reticular activating system is, is at work, as when I'm focused on getting big, I noticed other gentlemen out there who are much bigger than me and much scarier than I. And another, yes, yes, Brett right here. Huge muscles. <laughs> uh, scary, that's right, that's right. And another example that we're going to take a look at this morning is, is a bit of an experiment. So I need you all to play along with me. I need everybody to close your eyes. Everybody, close your eyes. All right, no peeking, no peeking. All right, to demonstrate our reticular activating system, I'm going to ask you one very simple question. It's very simple. I mean, you look at it and you know if it's true or not. My question for you is what color shirt is Larry Dickerson wearing? Close your eyes. Keep your eyes closed. No peeking. He was up here talking earlier. You saw him. You should know what color shirt he is wearing. All right, when I count to three, I want everybody to say what color shirt they think Larry is wearing. All right? One, two, three. All right, you can open. Larry, would you mind standing real quick? <laughs> He's wearing a blue shirt. I heard a couple blue, but I heard all, who, who got blue? Who said blue? A decent amount. I'd say about a third or a quarter of you guys got blue. But how come the rest two-thirds of you or three-fourths of you couldn't tell what shirt Larry was wearing? He was standing up here earlier. He was standing up here earlier twice. I mean, I look at him, and it's pretty obvious to me, unless if you're colorblind, you have an excuse. But if not, you should be able to know that he's wearing a blue shirt. And we ask why you don't know that is because your reticular activating system did not think the color of Larry's shirt was important. So for you guys out there who said blue, I question what you think is important and not. <laughs> as however now, I'm creating a category in your mind as I speak. We are all focusing on the color of Larry's shirt. We're all focusing on Larry's blue shirt. So I bet you when you talk to Larry out there in the foyer after the service, when you walk up and talk to him, I would bet you that you're going to notice his blue shirt. And why? It's because we're focusing on Larry's blue shirt. And when we focus on something, our reticular activating system thinks it's important. And so it will take note of it next time. 
I mean, there's, there's no possible way we can know what color, what color shirt everybody is wearing, but because we're focusing on Larry right now and what color shirt he's wearing, I bet you when you talk to him in the foyer, you're going to notice his shirt. So I'm sorry, Larry, if after the foyer you notice a lot of people looking at you. That's my fault. I'm guilty. I'm sorry. So that is the reticular activating system at work. It filters what comes in your mind and what you take note of, and it does that by what you focus on. Because we're focusing on Larry's shirt this morning, I bet you you're going to take note of it later. And that's the reticular activating system at work. Now, there's a couple of other uh, examples in, in, in our world that we all may go through. When we're buying a new car, we're focused in on our new car, whether that be a Honda Accord or a Ford F-150 or whatever it may be. When you buy that new car, all of a sudden you realize... What in the world? Everybody else around me is driving that same car as me. And we ask why. It's not because more people really are driving your car all of a sudden. It's because you're focused on that car, in which that means your reticular activating system thinks it's important, which then means you, you take note of other cars that are the same. Or for you parents out there, when you're naming your baby, you have this great idea in your head of a name for a baby and nobody's got it out there. But then all of a sudden, when you're focused on that name, you realize, what in the world? All these other parents stole, stole my baby's name. How dare them? It's not that they stole it. It's not that all of a sudden there's more names like that. But it's because you're focused on that name. And so your reticular activating system thinks it's important. So you take note of it. And now some of you guys may be wondering why in the world are we talking about the reticular activating system. It feels like I'm in science class when I thought I was listening to a sermon. Um, but it's important that we take note of that through answered prayer because when we focus on prayer, when we focus on the prayers that we have for God, our reticular activating system then thinks it's important and it creates a category in our mind for, for us to take note of it. When I was praying to God, when I was so focused in on God and for him to comfort me Friday, March 2nd, 2018, and I was so nervous and so worried, when I was so focused in on God and focused in on my prayer of God comforting me, it was so obvious that God answered my prayer. It was so obvious because my reticular activating system took notes of the stimuli in front of me that it had to do with God comforting me. And so when we're praying, when we're focusing on the prayers, we're creating a category in our mind. We're focused on that prayer. We're focused on the thing that we want. We're focused on that relationship with God. And when that takes place, our reticular activating system then takes notes to the answers of our prayer. It takes note of the answers to our prayer. It's, it's, it's interesting for me to see that the Aramaic word for prayer and uh, Aramaic was the common language of Jesus' time. But the Aramaic word for prayer means to set a trap. I mean, you would think that's kind of a weird word uh, to, to describe prayer and setting a trap. But in a sense, when we're praying, we are setting a trap. Because in our minds, we're focusing on something. And when we're focused on, on that thing, our, our mind creates a category to seek that out. And in a sense, we're, we're creating a trap to find the answer to that prayer. We're setting a trap. We're trying to find God at work. It helps us catch and discover answered prayers in our life. So when many of us, when we ask this question, why can't I see God at work in my life? Why 
Can't I see him active in my life? Possible solution to you is to start praying. To start praying to God. Focus in on God. Because your mind is very, very powerful, and it thinks on its own. And if you focus in on God, if you focus in on your communication with God, your mind will think that it's important. And it will take note of God at work all around you. You want to see God at work in your life? Live a life of prayer, and you'll be amazed. In Colossians chapter 4, It's the last uh, verse we'll take a look at this morning. Colossians chapter 4, we're just going to read verse 2. This is Paul writing. And it's very short, so I'll just read it here. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I'll read it again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So here we see Paul, Paul instructs us, he, he informs us to pray continually. Pray without ceasing. He later, he later writes in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Pray continually. But it doesn't just end there. Paul says right after that, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful in it. So not only are we to pr- pray continually, but we are to be watchful. This is how you see God at work in your life. This is how you know God is active. This is how you know God cares for you. This is how you know that he is your heavenly father who is the almighty creator of the heavens and the earth. This is how you further know him if you, if you are continually praying to him, if you're being watchful for God answering our prayers. You know, it's crazy sometimes we pray a prayer to God and, and we don't expect him to answer those prayers. We, we aren't seeking it out, that answer. But God is a God who gives good gifts. And we see that. I said this is the last passage, but I lied to you. I'll flip to Matthew chapter 7 real quick. Matthew chapter 7, uh, and this is uh, the sermon on the Mount. We're just going to read verses 7 through 11. This is uh, the most famous sermon of all Jesus talking to a group of people on a mountain. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Or which one of you if a son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Here, here Jesus clearly states that if you ask it, you'll receive it. If you seek it, you'll find it. And if you knock, it will be open to you. Now, for you parents out there, if, if your kid were to ask for a slice of bread, how many of you parents out there would instead give them give a stone or a rock? Any parents out there? Raise your hand high, high and proud. No? No parents out there would, would give 
their, their kid uh, a rock when they ask for, for a slice of bread. Interesting. Or how many of you parents out there uh, would give your child a serpent when they ask for a fish or, ask, or give them a snake when they ask for a fish? Any, any parents out there? None? Yeah, that's not what we do. That's not what we do as humans. When, when someone we care about and love about asks for something, we, we don't give them something else. We give them what's in their best interest. And so if we humans, us flawed humans, give good gifts, then how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts? God answers our prayer. It may not, I'll take notes, it may not always be the answer that we want. It may not be exactly what we have in mind or what we want, but I'm telling you, God answers prayer. He answers prayer. There is power in prayer. Sometimes it's, it's not very obvious to us. Sometimes we don't get what we want. Sometimes we struggle with, with all the wrongdoings in this world and, and we cease to have faith in prayer. But I'm telling you, prayer has power. God answers prayer. If we flawed humans give gifts to those we love, how much more will our Heavenly Father, who is perfect, who is the ultimate giver of gifts, how much more would He answer your prayer? God wants what's best for you. He wants what's best for you. And sometimes it's hard for us to realize or understand what's best for us, but God wants what's best for you. And sometimes we're put in hard situations, and sometimes in those hard situations, we grow closer to God. You know, these answers to prayers don't always seem obvious, or they may seem like God is dormant, and that he is not physically aware of us, or that he is not caring for our needs, but God answers prayer. The problem is not God. We don't know God is active in our lives, but the problem is us. It's us. We're not we're not seeing God active in our life. So if you want help from God, if you want help from God to help overcome a temptation, when you want help from God when you need help in a, in a financial crisis, when you need help when, when you're having problems with your family, or if you're having problems with your job, or problems with friends at school, if you want God to use you, if you want God's guidance in your life, if you want God to comfort you, then do one of two, or do two things. Pray continually and be watchful. Be watchful for God is answering prayers. And we can further know God. Jesus Christ said in John 17, 3, that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. That message of knowing God is so important. And so we need to know God. We need to see God active in our lives to further know him through, through reading our word and through prayer. We need to know God. And so it's my plea to each and every one of you guys this morning is to pray continually and be watchful for God is active. God is at work. God is doing great, th great things amongst us. The problem is so often we go blind to the things that God is doing right around us. St. Ignatius Loyola uh, lived in the 16th century. He was the founder of the Jesuits, 
uh, which is a scholarly religious congregation of the Catholic Church. Uh, they started the University uh, Loyola of Chicago, if you may remember, last year, March Madness. They, were, they made it to the Final Four. That university was named after St. Ignatius Loyola, who lived in the 16th century. And he started something called the Daily Examine. The Daily Examine. This is something that I would like for all of you guys to try this week. The Daily Examine. It's simple. All it is is that in the evening... At night, you prayerfully reflect on your day and reflect and you see how God was at work in your life. Ignatius Loyola thought that every single day of your life, you should be able to see God at work in your life. But you can only do that is if you are focusing in on God, if you are praying to God, if your reticular activating system thinks those prayers and that communication with God and that relationship with God, I think you will find God at work in your life. And so it's my challenge for you all this week to, to go and try that daily examine where, where you prayerfully reflect in the evening and try to see God at work in your life. And you have to be praying to God on a continual basis, and you have to be watchful for God at work in your life. And many of us may, may, may have that prayer set down, but a lot of us may forget to be watchful for God at work in our lives, because God is at work. God is alive and well. He is alive, and he is taking care of you. He's taking care of your needs, and he loves you. And we need to be watchful for that, for we need to further know God. For this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak your word to your people, your children. Father, I just pray that together as a church, we can be a church that doesn't just know of you, but that we can be a church that knows you, that knows that you care for our needs, that knows that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. Father, I thank you so much for, for the promises, the plans that you have for us. And I thank you for the great gift in your son, Jesus Christ, eternal life, eternal life, that free gift of eternal life. Father, we can't thank you enough for that. Father, we love you, and again, it's just my prayer th this morning that we can be a church that grows to know you through studying your word and through praying to you and seeking out the answers that you give to us. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.